chapter number 18, Matthew chapter number 18 tonight, and uh, we'll use our Bibles a lot. I will not get through the message tonight. Uh, we'll finish it next week. First, I want to share a few things um, for the church to be praying about. Um, I don't know we just had prayer requests and such, but um, I do want to first of all announce this. Our Hope Ministry is going well, and I'm uh, very thankful for it, and, um, and I just ask you to continue to pray for that ministry. But we're excited. Uh, we are about to launch out uh, starting September the 8th, uh, that first uh, Friday, uh, or September 1st, but September the 8th, uh, we are going to start having Friday night meetings, all right? Um, we still have the Thursdays, but Friday nights, um, and it will be a full program, uh, hour and a half, and uh, just give opportunity, Brother Kuiper will be uh, leading that and, and need some workers, and there's some folks praying about that. Uh, but uh, I do ask you to pray for that because that is the night when those bound in addictions need to be in a better place. So preparing for this and getting people in the ministry and those who are going to stick it out and, uh, and already been in contact with, um, you know, Goshen and uh, just pray they're going to meet in the fellowship hall on Friday nights. We'll still have our Thursday nights, but uh, just pray for that uh, starting on Friday, September the 8th, just another night and an opportunity for people to come. Uh, I would greatly appreciate your prayers there. Uh, then uh, something also exciting to pray about. Uh, when we were over in Scotland, um, and uh, drove around and saw the ministry with uh, Brother Hodnett and his family. And uh, they rent a community center for two hours every Sunday. Uh, that's all they can get. And uh, it limits them and, you know, places to meet other times and to have things. And uh, so I want you to look at something uh, that we saw when we were there and we've been praying about. And now we're at like big prayer time, right? Y'all excited? All right. Here's an exciting thing. Y'all. You guys aren't excited, so you're about to be, I hope. All right, Brother Matthew, you got a picture? Send me that picture. All right, look at that, all right? That right there is the Baptist Church of Dumfries. At least it was. It was there for over 150, 60 years, um, and uh, they um, went a very, as most Great Britain, uh, went a very wrong direction. Uh, they... It's right in the middle of town. It's a huge building. Uh, there it is, another sign of it, right? Uh, but um, they built a new building, and they, they went to this new building, and uh, it's all everything that, you know, the modern church is doing with all their fogs and lights and all that stuff. Uh, but in any case, they, they didn't want this old-fashioned building anymore, and so they put it up for sale. Um, Two years ago, $250,000, and uh, it's huge. Uh, but uh, it's been sitting there for two years, and uh, when we were over there, I looked at it with him. We walked around it, and uh, so we need to pray for this building. And uh, so they just lowered the price to 198000 because they want to get rid of it. And Brother Hodnett said, should we talk to him about it? I said, yes. And here's what we're going to pray for, and here's the offer he's going to make to them. It's been sitting there for two and a half years, all right? So I want you to pray about this. He's going to offer to take it for free. 
right? <laughs> oh, come on. You have not because you ask not, right? <laughs> I told him, I, he has a meeting with them next week. I said, tell them that uh, we've been praying about this for about a year now. I said, uh, tell them that, uh, you know, we'll take it off their hands. Because they, they really want to get rid of it. It's a burden to them. And they kind of still want it to be a church. It literally says over the front door, the Baptist church. And they go. But anyways, uh, you know, it's, it's been sitting empty now for over two years. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to make that offer to take it for free. So um, pray about that. Amen? All seriousness, pray for that. All right, um, you say that can never happen. I just want to remind you, we were given a building in Hillsborough, and we were given a building at in Arlington Heights. We were given a building in Colorado. God can do that, right? right. right? And uh, and so we are going to pray, and I want the church to pray with us about it. That that building, uh, they wanted a ri- well free. We want it for free. Yeah, that's our offer. Yeah. <laughs> That's our offer is free. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it'll pay us. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but we, that is the offer he's going to submit to them. He's supposed to look at it next week, walk around the property with them. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's just an outfit out there, and they want to get rid of this building. So, uh, so we're going to pray for that. So, um, and just please mark it down. Please pray for it every day. Um, and uh, I'm sure they'll get back with him. And so um, take some time to fast, pray, and seek the Lord for this. And uh, you say, what if they say no? Well, we'll go from there. Uh, but uh, that's what me and Brother Jody both prayed. He threw out first, and you know, about reaching out to churches, about this opportunity, and and maybe offering 150, and I was like, uh, I said, uh, then I, I, I kind of responded back to him, I was just like, maybe 100, and uh, I said, well, let's both pray about it, and we both prayed about it, and then when we talked, I said, I, I said, I can't get away from this, this is what I believe the Lord wants us to ask, and he goes, well, I've got something too, it was both the same thing, the offer doesn't take it, I was like, well, then let's do it, so, can you pray for that? I mean, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic, all right? It's already got our name on the front door, so it's really cool, all right? Uh, but, uh, but do pray for that, and um, obviously it's huge, uh, but uh, it's right in the middle of town. I mean right smack in the middle of the town. Um, so you couldn't ask for a better location, uh, It's just and it's just been sitting empty for two years, so I'm sure they need to get rid of it, So, and we need one, so... Amen. I told Brother Jody when I hung up with him today, I was just like, serving God's exciting. He said it's the best. So, all right, so, so join me. I'm praying for that. Um, and uh, I'm excited about that opportunity. So thank you, Brother Matthew. I just wanted you to see that and be in prayer for that as well. All right, so, all right, let's get into this tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter number 18. And uh, uh, we've been looking at... Um, different doctrines as our theme for Thursday night is ironing out some issues and uh, making sure that our doctrine lines up with the Word of God and uh, what the Bible teaches. And we looked at uh, 
the family, we looked at the home, we looked at uh, some other areas, but we're looking now at uh, the church and what the Bible teaches. And again, um, I'm not here to promote a uh, philosophy or man's thoughts uh, or a denominational thought. All that matters, let's be in the Word of God, all right? And uh, make sure we're lined up for it, and that's what we strive to do. And uh, here in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we looked at the concept of a church, what a church is. We looked at church government. We looked at church officers biblically. We looked the last few weeks at church ordinances and what the Bible teaches about those. Tonight, we're going to look at an unpleasant topic, but it is a scriptural topic and one that we as a church must understand properly and exercise properly, and that is, and it goes with the ordinances, uh, but uh, it is church discipline, church discipline, and uh, a church is an organized assembly of baptized believers to do the work of God, and key word I want to pull out of that is it's organized, all right? That implies that there are rules. Or in other words, there are necessities that need to be followed to function the proper way. And church discipline is part of that. Church discipline is the act of a church to keep itself under subjection to the divine laws of Christ in order to effectively operate. Now again, I've said this in the past, and, and I don't preach on church discipline all the time at all, because it's not, I know, a pleasant topic, but I do at the same time, most, and I hate saying this, but it's just true, most churches have no idea what it really is, and very few practice it. And it is biblical, and it should be practiced. Don't want to, but it's right. When I say I don't want to, I mean I don't get joy out of it. No one should, and we'll talk about that this week and next. It is not, again, I reiterate this before we get into the message, it is not excommunication. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, that's unbiblical, all right? It's not just kicking somebody out of church. That's unbiblical. It's not, it seems like to be like the independent Baptist word, churching them. That's an unbiblical word, and it's unscriptural. We don't church people. Um, it's not a witch hunt. We're not going around trying to find things to, you know, throw everybody under the microscope. But nor is it controversial, and nor should it be avoided. It is absolutely necessary. In Matthew chapter 18, you can see, and we'll come back to this passage at some point, either this week or next, but in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, That if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Let's pray that we're going to look at this topic of church discipline tonight. Father, we love you. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for the 
Hope Ministry we just came out of. Thank you for time here to sing your praises, to share our burdens one with another, to pray for each other. Father, I pray that, Lord, you just take the message now. I pray that we would just be still and allow the word of God to speak for itself. Lord, I help my words and my tongue and my thoughts to be directed by the Holy Spirit of God. And I just pray that, Lord, you would be honored and everything would be biblical and sound. Lord, we love you. In your name I do pray. Amen. Look at a couple things with me real quick tonight on the topic of church discipline. Number one, I want us to consider the purpose of church discipline. What's the purpose? Why does God, and you'll see it tonight as we study this, that it is in the Word of God. What is the purpose of church discipline? We're going to use our Bible a lot because if it's not scripturally founded, then I have no case, right? And uh, so let's look at this in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And we'll go back and forth to a lot of verses, so here we go. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and in verse number 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse number 15. It says this, 1 Timothy three fifteen. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Number one, the first purpose for church discipline, number one, is to preserve truth. To preserve truth. The church here in this passage of Scripture, the Lord's churches, are described as being the pillar and the ground of truth. It is necessary, and we'll talk about it later, that false teaching, false doctrine, lies and things be exposed and rebuked and removed. Because the church is to be the pillar and the ground of truth. And so God gave us church discipline, one reason, to preserve truth. To guard against lies. To guard against heresy. To guard against heretics. To guard against these things that would take away from truth. Churches have unfortunately gone away from church discipline. And you have seen the result... There's a whole lot of false teaching in a lot of churches across the world. Whole lot of people getting up and teaching false ways of salvation, false Christ. Holiness is being thrown away. Um, a, a, a deviation from truth, a lack of church doctrine. And... And that, that's why you see, by the way, unfortunately, and I use the church very loosely when I say this, but you see churches accepting things like sodomy. It's wrong. It's sin. It's an abomination in the Bible. Yet it's being accepted and promoted. What happened? Gave away truth. And we dare not allow lies and heresies and heretics to get involved and just compromise and accept these things. No, God gave us that when these things are there, they're to be exposed, they're to be rebuked, and if someone's not going to repent of false teaching and heresy, they're to be removed. Because one purpose of church discipline is to preserve truth. The second one is this. So turn over to 2 Thessalonians, back a few pages in chapter number 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And in verse number 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse number 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly 
and not after the tradition which he received of us. Number one, the first purpose is to preserve truth. Secondly, to preserve church order. To preserve church order. It says that you would draw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. That walks in ways that are scripturally out of bounds. Things that are wrong. And bringing chaos and confusion. I'll stick with that simple, and again, do not get me wrong. We are to love all people, Amen. all sinners. Right. Uh, I had someone kind of try to cause a debate, not in our church, someone I was talking to, and they, they said, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, someone trapped, I stick with that same illustration, I'm not harping on something, same illustration. They said, well, someone that's given themselves to sodomy, they can't be saved. And I said, you're wrong. Right. You're wrong. And I had no problem telling them they're wrong. Of such were some of you. And so when I when I use this as an illustration, I'm I'm just I'm not saying they can't be reached and they we need to love them. And reach them. But their sin is not accepted. Neither is my sin, neither is your sin. Sin's not accepted. Not certain sins. Sin's not accepted. And 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 here, those that would walk disorderly, those who would walk and be involved in things that, uh, you know, if, if we uh, promoted and brought in someone involved in the sin of sodomy and, and uh, they became a member of the church and, and they started singing in the choir, and, and you know what that would do? Confuse every other person in this auditorium. It's out of bounds. It's wrong. And if it's promoted and it's and, and endorsed in any way, then we're, we are aiding to that false teaching being spread. So to preserve truth, to preserve church order, number three, uh, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter number five, which is another passage we'll go to a lot in this study. But in 1 Corinthians chapter number five, uh, what's the purpose of church discipline? To preserve truth, to preserve church order. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians five, verse six and seven, to preserve church purity. 1 Corinthians five, verse number six, now, this whole passage is about someone in the church at Corinth that was involved in immorality, a sexual sin. And, and Paul's dealing with it, and he says there in verse number 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not, because this church was almost, in verse number 1 and 2, they were, it was commonly known that someone involved in immorality was in a member of the church. And not only was it known, but the church was kind of puffed up or proud about it, that they were accepting of it. And Paul said this, your glorying is not good. Right. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Right. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Your glorying is not good. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. little simple illustration, you put a rotten apple in a bushel of good apples, yeah. it won't be long. Until a bunch of other apples are starting to be rotten. And the illustration Paul gives here is a little leaven will soon uh, 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 just be spread throughout the entire thing. And that sin is not just that person, Corinth church, uh, that's involved in immorality. It's not just a sin in his life. It's affecting the entire church. And because of that, you can't allow a sin, a known sin, a sin that no one's repented of, a sin that people are going to continue in, to allow to continue because it's not just, again, 
uh, you know, just understand what I'm saying. Brother Jeff, he will not, God forbid, right? But Brother Jeff's involved in some wicked sin, and we all know about it, and he's just going to continue, and we're kind of, you know, well, we're accepting. We, we don't care that he's, you know, an alcoholic or whatever. We're just going to let him go on, and, uh, and we, we allow it. That's not just a sin upon his life. That is a impurity. It is, it is a, a stain. It is a, a sin on our church. And so it is to preserve purity. And Paul's going to deal with this in this chapter, how to deal with this man that's involved in the sin, and we'll look at it. But understand this, it always goes in these steps when it comes to sin in the church. It always starts with compromise, which leads to corruption, which then leads to the, I'm just using a biblical term, the candlestick being removed. Look back in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in chapter number 2. Revelation chapter 2. Everybody still with me? Amen. Amen. All right. I know we're moving fast, all right? But the purpose is to preserve truth, to preserve church order, and to preserve purity. And I want you to see what I talk about here. Again, compromise. We just start accepting sin, which soon leads to corruption. Then sin will be involved in the church. And eventually, if undealt with, Revelation chapter 2 and in verse number four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember verse number five, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. He's talking to churches here. Repent and do the first work or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of this place. Except thou repent. If a church allows compromise, which leads to corruption and sin is not dealt with and sin becomes to come rampart and just part of a church. God will remove that candlestick. They will cease to be a light. They will cease to be, uh, you, you say, they may keep gathering as an institution, but when God removes a candlestick and the glory's gone, it won't be long till the church is dead, unless there's a repenting. You say, well, I bet that this church or that church, not our business. The church at Corinth had a lot of issues, didn't it? Yeah. But the Holy Spirit still called it a church. Yeah. You read these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, talk about some bad issues. Right. But even with those issues, they were still called a church. I'm not making light of their sin. I'm just saying God gives a space for repentance. Yeah. And when God moves in that way, that's God's business, not ours. You say, what should we focus on? Just making sure we're right. That's it. Nobody else. <laughs> we want to make sure we're right. All right? I'm not going to go around and say, all right, I wonder if that church uh, still has a candlestick. Never crosses my mind, nor should it yours. All that matters is, am I part of a church that is striving to be as holy as it can and honor a great God and doing the work of God? The purpose, and so, is to preserve truth, to preserve church order, to preserve purity, which, by the way, I use the illustration of immorality or sodomy, but look at me real quick. It's all sin. If you continually use foul language and you don't care what's said or preached and you just like cursing, it needs to be dealt with. Because you're not just affecting you. You're affecting your church. If you're a liar... If you're stealing from work, if you're, you know, prideful, a gossiper, I mean, it's easy to call out drug addicts and sodomites, right? Yeah. Let's talk about arson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
and it's a pretty terrible thing to say, you know what, I know it's sin, but I'm going to continue anyways. That's, that's a pretty terrible thing. But it's even lower to say, I know it's sin, I'm going to continue anyways, and I don't care that it's affecting everyone else in my church. But it is. So it needs to be dealt with. It preserves purity. It preserves unity. Back in Romans chapter number 16, book of Romans in chapter number 16. Again, we're talking about the purpose of church discipline. In Romans chapter 16 and in verse number 17. Romans 16, verse number 17 says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and defenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. A fourth purpose of church discipline is to preserve unity. Unity. God does not desire for there ever to be schisms and divisions within a church. Matter of fact, it's blasphemous to the cause of Christ. That's why the devil likes to bring those things into God's churches. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. What a lost world should see amongst every body of believers is a love for one another. But when there's arguing and fighting and spats and you know it's sad, it's so true that it happens in so many churches and the devil's making a heyday out of it and it's a blasphemy to the cause of Christ and it should not be allowed. And so if there's someone who is trying and stirring the pot and trying to cause disunity or schisms in the church, they should be addressed, approached, and if they will not repent of it, church discipline to protect the unity of a church. Again, mark them and avoid them. That's what the Bible says. To preserve church unity. Also in 1 Timothy chapter number 5. Turn to the right. right? I know we're using our Bibles, but that's a good thing. Right? 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse number 20. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 20. says this. Them that sin. 1 Timothy 5.20. Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. A fifth purpose of church discipline is to preserve holiness. Because God wants his churches to be holy. No, no, we're not perfect. See, I want to be involved in a perfect church. Well, you'll have to wait till you get to heaven. But that doesn't give us an excuse and a reason not to strive to be holy. God didn't tell us to be as holy as God. If he did, we'd all fail. But he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. When we see the holiness of God, it should be our inspiration and our motivation to be as holy as we possibly can be. And a church is to prepare itself as a bride. A church is to, uh, again, to adorn itself and and to be holy so we can present ourselves, as our theme is, without spot or wrinkle. To present ourselves as pure and as spotless as we can. I've uh, uh, had done many weddings and uh, performed many ceremonies. And, and again, I always use the illustration. I, uh, I've never once had a bride-to-be, you know, that, uh, you know, is eating a hot dog with ketchup and mustard in a wedding dress 10 minutes before the ceremony. No way, right? I mean, you're talking 8, 10, 12, 14 hours they're preparing for this. One little dot they're like, no, and the world's over, right? And that's the way we should strive to be. Because we're going to approach the Lord Jesus Christ one day. 
And one reason for church discipline is to preserve holiness. And you don't have to turn here, but in Acts chapter number 5, remember when Ananias and Sapphira both lied? And uh, they didn't need to lie, but they lied. And they lied to just be patted on the back. They were prideful, covetous people. And, and both of them died before the entire congregation. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, that great fear came upon the church. And one reason why church discipline and God ordained it is because sin and a continued and an unrepentant sin should be taken care of by a church so that great fear is there in the life of believers. That we dare not go down that same path. To preserve holiness, a sixth purpose is to preserve the sinning member. Look over a few verses in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter number 6 and in verse number 1. Galatians 6 verse number 1 says this. Just a few pages back to your left. Galatians 6 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Make no mistake. We'll get back to it. But the purpose of church discipline is restoration to bring them back to Christ. And we need to, when we see someone who's overtaken in a fault, we should consider ourselves, because understand this, if you look at me, that could be us. You say, I would never do that. Your flesh is capable of doing wicked things that you have no idea. God forbid, but you get away from a walk with God and you put aside the church and you put aside and you start living for your lust, you'll be amazed how low and despicable we can fall. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. And the whole purpose is to see someone get right. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Again, 1 Corinthians 5. Just hang with me a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And in verse number 5, Paul's addressing this back to this man that was in immorality and uh, he's addressing this sin. And look what he says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse number 5. To deliver such a, and one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, he's talking about, and I want you to catch this. He's talking about a man in the church. He's a member of the church, but he's involved in immorality. I mean, wickedness, filth, a perversion. That's what he's involved in. And Paul says that this person needs to be delivered, again in that verse, unto Satan, all right, for the destruction of the flesh. You see, as a member of the church, one of the great benefits of being a member of the church is the protective umbrella of God. And someone that's been delivered in church discipline, they're removed from that protective umbrella. And the Lord permisses or gives permission to the devil to begin to destroy that person's life. And it will. I do want you to understand something, though. According to the Word of God, that man involved in that wicked sin did not lose his salvation. Amen. Right. That the Spirit may be saved. Yes. Yes. Even if this person dies, you can't lose your salvation. Right. But the destruction of the flesh. Just ask Job what can happen. When the devil's allowed access. I've seen it 
in my years and being at church as again someone unfortunately because of an unrepented sin is delivered and, and um, the devil begins to work in that person's life I've seen it through tragedy I've seen it through accidents I've seen it through uh, just sicknesses and cancers and and, and I'm not saying when someone gets sick or has an accident that it's disciplined from God. But I am saying this, that God will work and chasten his children. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Right. So what happens if someone's been delivered, you know, in church discipline, but there's never a chastening hand of God? Number one, we are not God and his timing is not our timing. We live in faith that we delivered and did all we can do. The rest is God's business. But I will say that God gave us in Scripture that if there is no chastening of the Lord, then that person is not one of his children. And I'm not putting a time frame on that. But I am saying that no chastening. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, that that's not one of his children. And in some ways, and I know this sounds really weird and I don't want you to take it wrong, but I have found comfort in someone that's been church disciplined that the obvious disciplining hand of God is in their life. Because there's a comfort, even in the tragedy, that this is God's child. He won't care I share it with you. I, he shares it and said to share this message. It's a friend of mine. But uh, Brother Mike Griffith's son, the camp we used to go to, he surrendered to preach. He's doing well. He drifted away from God, got involved with the wrong crowd, started hanging around druggies. His father kept asking him and begging him, repent, turn around, get away from this crowd. He pushed his dad away. The church had to deliver him. found him dead in a trailer and I'll never forget his dad getting up at his son's funeral and says I thank God that he took my son home because drugs couldn't touch him anymore that crowd couldn't be around him anymore to deliver one such and sometimes it's a chasing hand sometimes it's even death but the whole purpose is to preserve the sinning member. That they either be restored, that's the will of God. Right. Or God loves his children enough not to let them get hurt anymore. Right. So you see the purpose? Let's look really quick at the plan. What is the plan? Back to Matthew chapter number 18. How does this work? And next week, all right, and I don't know where we'll stop. We'll stop in a few minutes, but we'll look at the purity and why we do this, and some principles of church discipline. Uh, but look, look at the plan real quick. In Matthew chapter number 18, we'll start. Um, number one, understand we're just going to talk about how this works. And I know we've taught on it before, but if you're not sure, again, just follow. Young people, get this. Say, ah, that's, that's the pastor's job. Wrong. Matter of fact, I'm about to read the step-by-step -step for church discipline, and you won't find pastor mentioned at all. Just telling you. In Matthew chapter number 18, start with me in verse number 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Number one, the church acts as individuals. 
The church acts as individuals. You're a member of this church. You make up this body. And as a member of the church, according to verse number 15, the very first thing you do is you confront that person alone. It says, go and tell him his fault between thee and Tim alone. So, in other words, if someone's involved in a sin and, you know, I'll use Brother Edom's in there, right? Brother Edom sees that Brother Jeff's involved in something that he shouldn't be involved in. He should not hesitate to go into Brother Jeff and saying, I love you, Brother Jeff. If these things are true right here, let me show you where biblically it's wrong. You need to repent, brother. I love you. That's sin. You need to get this right. And if he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Amen. If Brother Jeff says, you're right, Brother Brian, I'm so sorry. God's been working on my heart. I, will you pray with me? I want to get rid of this. And he prays and asks God to forgive him. And he gets it right. The matter's done. It's done. You say, well, don't he need to share? Not according to that scripture. Now, you say, well, what if other people know about it? Everyone should be going to Brother Jeff that knows about it. I don't like getting involved. Well, sorry, that's anti-Bible. And to him to know what to do good and do what to not. Right? I mean, if you know, you should reach out to him. And you go to him. And if you hear thee, and you know what a blessing, if all of a sudden Brother Brian, like, boy, Brother Jeff praises God, and Brother Martini's like, well, you know, I, I think I saw this in Brother Jeff's life. And he goes to Brother Jeff, and he starts, and Brother Jeff says, hey, Brother Martini, I just want you to know, Brother Brian came and talked to me, and we both knelt down here next to this seat, and I got right with God, and, and you're right, I was wrong, but I asked God to forgive me. Rejoicing. Amen. And another person comes to Brother Jeff that doesn't know the other two went, and they starts, and Brother Jeff shares again, and they're all rejoicing. You know what happens? Not only is people rejoicing and the word of God's been glorified, but Brother Jeff knows this, people care. They care. They're watching. They love me enough to talk to me. We wonder why it never works. I I don't see it working because no one does it. Go to them. Amen? You go to them alone. You confront them alone. Secondly, if that doesn't happen, verse number 16, if he doesn't listen, then you confront with an associate. Verse number 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If Brother Jeff didn't hear Brother Brian, then Brother Brian says, Brother Joshua, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really concerned. I talked to Brother Jeff. Brother Jeff said he was involved in this sin, but he had no intention of changing. I've been praying for him. Will you come with me? And let's both try to talk to him. Maybe they grab Brother Jordan or someone else, and they, they go and speak to him. If... Brother Jeff listens. It's over. If he repents. And that's the whole point. So what if Brother Jeff doesn't listen? Then, thirdly, you confront the whole assembly. And if he should neglect to hear them, the two or three, tell it unto the church. So now the whole church is told. And what does the church do? We church them. No. Nope, nope, nope. Remember, that's not a real term, right? You know what the whole church does? The whole church tries to reach out to this guy. 
the steps aren't done Brother Brian and Brother Josh go and speak to him steps aren't done the whole church needs to outreach to him in some way every family should try to reach out to him conversation stop by his house write him a letter but the whole church and tell it to the church but if he neglect to hear the church which implies the whole church tried to reach him then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican is at that point if he neglects to hear the whole church that the person would then be under church discipline and the church would and we'll talk about in a second that's our next point right? the church would act as individuals and then secondly the church would then act corporately if he has neglected to hear the whole church, now the church acts as a whole. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Again, where this illustration is given about this man in immorality. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, look with me. Again, in verse number 1, it's reported commonly there's fornication among you, uh, but ye are puffed up. In verse number 2, uh, verse number 4, right? It says this, I want you to catch some things as Paul's giving instruction how to handle this matter of church discipline. Everybody still with me? Amen. A few more minutes, right? Verse number four. It says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together. Everybody see that? Right. When ye are gathered together. When the next step is the church acting corporately, it should be done when the church gathers together. It is a corporate decision of the church. Travis Burke doesn't church discipline people. The church church disciplines people. I'm a part of the church. Right? And, and uh, I may direct the meeting, but it's the church that acts corporately. Right? Um, again, it's not a pastor's place, but the churches. That's why in Matthew it says, after two or three, you tell it to the church. The church comes together just like, and we, it was no doubt, right? With the Lord's Supper, it was a church ordinance because when ye come together, when ye come together, it's a church gathering, a church meeting. So church discipline is done when the church gathers together. It's done corporately. It is also done in verse number four, a church acts authoritatively. In verse number four, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church acts with authority. So what do you mean by that? The church is the highest authority in matters of church discipline. There's no one to appeal to. It's as high as the church. And if an offender refuses to hear the church, there's no one else to go to, no other person. It's a church's decision. You see, you know, it should be clear, which by the way, you say, well, and, and maybe you need to talk about it as a church. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, I think verse number 2, that they, heretics were tried like a court. <laughs> they were brought up and the church asked questions. What are you teaching? And literally there was like a trial in the church. You say, that would be weird. It shouldn't be as weird as we think it is. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, no one in this church should dare sue another church member. The highest court you can go to is in your church. 
you're all staring at me really weird. So you have to turn there. You're right there. First Corinthians 6, verse number 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? And the rest of the chapter, it, for the next eight, 10 verses, it teaches that if there is an issue, all right, if, if uh, I use two different people, all right, uh, but uh, if uh, Brother Dave, right, uh, hired Brother uh, Handyman, Brother Joshua, and uh, Brother Joshua didn't do the job, but he charged him, which he would never do that because he's an awesome handyman and everyone should use him, all right? Uh, but, you know, in a pretend world, right, and he really has a beef, he didn't do the job, and he's out $500, so I'm going to take him to small claims court. That's a sin. So what do I do? Let the church handle it. So I've never seen that. It's in the Bible. And maybe we'd have less issues if we did what the Bible said. Well, I just don't. It's not that big a deal. I, want to make it a, I don't want to take it any further. Exactly. And if you can't get over it, bring it before the church. If you can get over it, let it go. You so say, that, that's, that's awful. Read 1 Corinthians 6. Sometimes it's better to be defrauded. Now, I'm not saying to do that every time, but I'm just saying this. You know, if you're talking about, now, if it's big time, something huge, yeah. But look, if he promised to paint the top of the banister red and it was green, seriously, I'll come over and paint it. I mean, be wise too. But at the same time, there's not a higher matter than the church. And then what the church decides, by the way, turn up Matthew chapter 18. Turn back to, keep your finger right there. We'll come back to first minute. Uh, but in Matthew chapter number 18, what the church decides, once you see this, Matthew 18 and verse number 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever the church's decision is, is ratified in heaven. So a church acts as individuals, but then they will, if the need be, they act corporately, and then they should act with authority. And then fourthly, they should act purposely. Purposely, The offender then should be removed from being part of the body. And I am going to stop there. We're going to pick up there. And what happens? I preach this tonight because it's part of doctrine and it's an important church doctrine. Amen. I preach this tonight because it's not something we should avoid at all cost nor do we run into it haphazardly there should be something that is only ever done after praying and fasting and pleading and showing but I don't take it lightly either and to those who may be involved in sin For the church to be right, these things have to be followed. Right. And I've been asked a lot of questions over the years. and you know, Why haven't you church disciplined this? Or why haven't church disciplined that? And, and I just want you to know, number one, you'd be amazed what I don't know. It's not like, you know, 
Brother Jeff gets involved in alcohol and he comes and says, you know, I need to go tell preacher this. He does it. No, he wouldn't do it in the first place. But it's not like people that get involved in sin go check in with the pastor. Well, I saw it, so I'm sure you know about it. No, I'm not everywhere. But it works if you see something that you go to that person. Well, they might get mad at me. Not if they're innocent. The only people that get offended are offenders. I mean, if you came to me tonight and say, I'm worried you're an alcoholic, I would laugh at you and say, okay, but I'm not. I'm not going to go to bed tonight mad at you. I'm going to be like, hey, take blood samples, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm clear, brother, all right? No offense taken. I'm glad you're worried that, you know, you want to make sure I'm right, but I'm right, brother, all right? Follow me around a week, check all my credit cards, look at my bank account. I don't care. Search me. I'm innocent. But if I've been sneaking something in the cabinet, I get really offended that that person that asked me, how dare they? Right? right? So there's some things I may not know. But secondly, this, if someone's trying, and that person is saying, I, I asked the Lord to forgive me, I'm trying to get victory in this area, that's what it's all about. You know, if I use that simple thing, and I say, Brother Joshua, all of a sudden has a terrible cursing mouth. Sorry to pick on you tonight, man. Cursing mouth. And uh, we, we realize it. And uh, it happens sometimes with new members. Maybe they just got saved. It didn't like, I'm free from all sin. There's still things you got to get victory over. And if I go to Brother Joshua and say, Brother Joshua, I heard you say this, and you know, that's something we shouldn't say. And, oh, preacher, I'm sorry. I really, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> I want my mouth to be right. And, and he says, Lord, forgive me. I, I don't want this in my life. And, and then two weeks down the road, something happens and a word slips. We're going to say, that's it, church discipline. Now, if people are working and trying, because guess what? You're not perfect either. So we're not on a witch hunt looking for everybody. But when someone knows they're wrong but continues in sin and has no interest in getting things right, and they keep, or if they say, yeah, I'm sorry, but they keep doing it. 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 Then the church will have to act. Not because we're mad. Not because we don't love. Quite the opposite. We do love. And we just want you to get right. Because you're a member of this body. And God wants a pure church. So we'll start there next week on how a church will act purposely. And what happens when a church disciplines a member. Let's pray. Father.